1: Just about a year ago, this guy, Phil Parkinson, started coming to the ice baths and Phil had started this pretty successful fitness company out in ice bath one day and was like, hey, you know, I really believe in what you're doing. You know, I I built this program to help you if you wanted to try and turn this into a business. And at first I said no, because I was like, eh, my breath work is my passion. You know, that's what I really want to focus on. So I said no. And then I thought about it for a couple of weeks and Breathwork is, or at least at that stage in my life, I was kind of like, I'm not sure. I don't know how to get people to believe in this, but I know that people can believe in ice baths because it's instantaneous, because it's kind of sexy, right? But the, the biggest thing is like, you feel it. You cannot help, but feel amazing afterwards. So I was like, if I can get people here for the ice bath, we're gonna do the breathing beforehand so I can get them to do the breathing. So hopefully they'll get hooked on one or the other. And if they just get hooked on breathing and they never come back again, then I've done my job. Cause that was my ultimate goal. Like I need to get people to understand the importance of using their breath.
0: The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body
2: What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My7Chakras, MySevenChakras.com, the place where you experience deep healing, deep relaxation, and you get to know how to find your bliss. In today's episode, can you guess where I am? I am in sunny Playa del Carmen on the coast of the Riviera, continuing my quest, my journey of meeting some amazing people here in the Yucatan, Mexico. And as you all know, many of you have listened to our last episode in Puerto Morelos, where I interviewed some amazing yogis and uh, one thing has led to the other. And I'm here in Playa del Carmen. It's beautiful. It's sunny. It's humid. I've been doing a lot of yoga, a lot of cycling, a lot of trying out different foods. And as you guys know, I love cold plunges. So uh, somebody introduced me to Reconnect and to Kevin Connolly here in Playa who does um, almost every day, but a couple of times during the week, cold plunges on the beach. And I tried it out first time yesterday and it was amazing. Just imagine you are on the beach, white sand, nice warm waters, ships in the distance, the sun on your shoulders and then you plunge into two or three degrees cold water with some ice around it and you finish off with dunking your head. It is an experience and like they say, there's some sweat, there's some freezing and there's some heating as well. And so I thought, why not uh, have Kevin Connolly, who is the founder of Reconnect Mexico, here on my show? He also happens to be a breathwork teacher, an amazing individual. And I was curious about learning more about his journey, his quest, um some of the things that led him to where he is today. And I'm at his place today, right on the banks on Fifth Avenue, for those of you who uh, have been to Mexico, Playa del Carmen in particular, you would know that Fifth Avenue is sort of the main area where you have a lot of amazing restaurants, a lot of different places where you can pick up souvenirs, and all in all, uh, it's a place to behold. A lot of amazing restaurants as well. So, without further or further ado, I am going to uh, hand over the mic to Kevin to introduce himself.
1: Great. Thanks, AJ. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Kevin Connolly. I um have been on, uh, like many of us have been on an interesting journey of finding some holistic modalities and, and healing practices. Um, many of which AJ and I share, it seems like, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I've been here in, in Mexico for two years and like many of us who moved to a new place or a new country, I've uh, been on an interesting journey. Um, But I started this company called Reconnect here, um, and we do ice baths five times a week now on the beach. We do breath workshops. We do uh, 30-day challenges. Um, We're actually building our own ice bath at the moment. Um, So a lot of really exciting things happening. Um, But yeah, just generally happy happy to be on the show today. Amazing,
2: amazing. And as our listeners can vouch for, I'm really enjoying this element of travel while interviewing somebody in person It just is a different experience altogether because there's so much things to share, shared experiences, and along the way comes some challenges, especially tech challenges sometimes, (laughs) which we sort of navigate. And once we overcome them, we have more of a shared uh, connection, so Mm -hmm. to speak. So, Kevin, really amazing to have you on the show. Uh, Maybe we can start with the very beginning. Uh, Tell us where were you born and brought up and sort of what your childhood was like earlier on sure
1: so um i was born in cleveland ohio um my upbringing was actually a a very lucky one i had a big family i had a lot of uh cousins i got along with everyone um a lot of outdoor things i was really into sports um i was really into lacrosse um guitar that sort of thing um And yeah, I just loved being outside. I spent most of my time in the woods around my house, fishing, um, you know, playing with friends and and anywhere outside in general. Um, And I loved the outdoors so much that I went to the farthest place um, away from my home, which was the University of Montana, uh, because I just was super interested by the mountains. I'd never really seen mountains in my life until I'd gone there. And so, uh much to my parents' um disappointment, <laughs> I I went to school uh about 2000 miles from my house um in one of the most magical places I think I've I've ever really known, um which is Missoula, Montana. Um it's just absolutely gorgeous, surrounded by mountains, surrounded by rivers, uh, lakes, waterfalls. Um, So I kind of grew up, I feel like I grew up, even though university isn't growing up for many people. For me, it kind of felt like growing up um, in this sort of fairy tale world um, where most people go to university and, you know, they go to the bars on the weekend. We would go to Hot Springs. We would go get, um, uh, you know, the old towers and, and houses that the firefighters used to stay in. We'd rent those for the weekend and bring all our friends out there. And um, so just being in in nature was kind of a big part of my, of my life um, growing up.
2: What I found on this trip is especially the impact of travel on our lives mm. in a place where they don't speak your language. Because uh, being in Vancouver, you get sort of so used to speaking English that you don't realize sometimes that uh, communication can be so much more than just the words You just assume that, okay, it's English. The other person knows English and you go back and forth. But here, here in Mexico, I've had to use so many different ways to try to communicate because I don't speak the language per se and use my heart as well and use my aura and use my body languages to communicate with the other person. So I can see what that did to you, maybe in the same country, but 2000 miles away from where you were born and brought up to... Uh, try something new and to meet new people and to do a lot of outdoorsy stuff and to connect with nature, which I'm finding is so uh, beautiful here as well, just to um, get to know the history of a place and to, as something as simple as walk bare feet, which I I think a lot of us don't do enough of. Mm. It's powerful, right?
1: Yeah. End of my high school career, but that didn't really blossom into full hippie mode until I went to Montana and um, meeting the people out there. Because Mon- Missoula, University of Montana, was a mix of people from all over the country. Um, so it was the first time where I had this you know, very national group of friends um, from everywhere. But we all had this shared love for the outdoors. Um, but in terms of like, if I felt like I was a human, just just living outside basically um, all the time. And for me, it was, yeah, it was learning another language in a lot of ways, just like understanding how to be outside for days on end. You know, we go camping for a weekend, we go camping for four days, five days. Um, and just learning everything about being outside for an extended period of time is it is like another, completely another language. I I love it, I love it.
2: Yeah, that's true, that certainly feels like another language, especially if you immerse yourself in the symphony of what nature has to provide, the sounds Mm -hmm. of the birds, the sounds of the trees, the sounds of the wind, the sounds of the lake. It's just so different, right? It's a different Mm -hmm. language altogether. This morning I was listening to uh, an episode I forget what the podcast is called, but the guest over there was like a researcher and uh, I think it was an ethnobotanist who was doing a lot of study in the Amazon. And what he told is that the uh, uncontacted tribes, a lot of times, they have developed a way of communication, not language, uh, but a way of communication like the, uh, the monkeys would. So the only way to know if it is that tribe would be to, you know, if you're stuck for some reason in the middle of the Amazon Zonian jungle is to listen. And if it sounds a little bit off, it's probably that the tribe is coming uh, for you or is near oh, wow. to you. So it's interesting how, you know, humans over a period of time have developed these ways of communication, which might not be language, but like beyond that.
1: I haven't gotten there yet, <laughs> but I'm working towards it Yeah, yeah, slowly. Yeah. It's yeah. a process. <laughs> That's
2: amazing. That's amazing. And so, what did you want to become as a? Well, I won't say kid, but uh, beyond university, what did you uh, think you would like doing more of, mm. from a career standpoint, or from a you know lifestyle standpoint? I didn't
1: make up my mind until I was, I think, a, a sophomore in university. I I wanted to be a photographer. Um, before that, I I never. I don't remember ever thinking about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was kind of just enjoying, enjoying it and um, kind of being in the moment. Um, but yeah, it was like sophomore year. I saw someone taking photos outside on the university lawn. And I was like, wait a second, you can major in that? Immediately switched and started studying photography. And, um, and ended up working as a photographer for the next eight, eight years or so. Um, very fortunately, I was able to do that in some amazing places. and, um, uh, so yeah, that was that was my my earliest dream of, of, of a career choice.
2: That is amazing, amazing. What do you like about photography in particular?
1: I love history. So I like the idea of capturing history and the fact that anyone can capture history. And back then, you know, this was before Instagram, Um, photography was way more limited. I mean, you had to develop your photos. This still wasn't quite digital cameras had, had come out yet. Or maybe they had just started at that time. Um, so for me, photography was sort of this mysterious, uh, profession, you know, um, and it was just really intriguing. The fact that maybe you could do this for a living, um, but I loved like learning about light. You know, I learned photography in a dark room. Um, my senior year, I had my my own private dark room. Um, so I would just be in there until four o'clock in the morning, uh, editing photos, developing photos, doing all different kinds of um, alternative printing processes. I loved it. Um, it was just the fact that it was such a creative process and I was able to, you know, touch and feel the things that I was shooting. I, I loved being able to just hold my photos after, after taking one. Um, but yeah, photography for me was just the the whole process in general. I I absolutely
2: adored it. That is amazing. There's something to say about being able to document your journey, right? Whether Mm -hmm. through photography or to videos. In fact, one of my goals is, and I've been trying to see how to make this work, is to be able to do like a vlog Mm -hmm. and a podcast at the same time. You know, so like vlogging by myself or with my family at some point and like doing a lot of travel and just creating like a cinematic vlog where there's a lot of storytelling, where there's a lot of (laughs) B-rolls as well. But I think it's so valuable to sort of look back into your journey. And a lot of times if you post it on YouTube, you end up developing a following, right? Where people are able to go on that journey while sitting at home. Uh, and and partake in that same experience it's fascinating how as humans we don't need to actually go to a particular place and we can stare into just a phone or maybe a television and feel like we're part of that same experience and that's the magic of storytelling but also you know sharing an amazing photograph or maybe a video as well i think deep down we're all um, we all know that there's a hero within us or maybe a story to sort of bring that out
1: i think you should do it I think um, I don't know what it's like in, in Canada, but in terms of the states, you know, people just don't travel outside of the U.S. It used to be—I remember it used to be—you know—only ten percent of of Americans had a passport. It's it's a, it's higher than that now, but it's still very low. And you know, the U.S. is a big place. There's a lot of places to travel, but it's still generally the same culture. Um, and I think people just learn so much more once they get out of that, out of those, uh, those borders. Um, and, and, you know, just south of the border is this very different, very unique, very beautiful, incredibly underrated country. Um, you know, there's so many things about Mexico. It's, it's history, it's food, um, it's architecture, it, you know there's there's parts of mexico like chiapas for example has these incredible towns these beautiful waterfalls these you know they're very indigenous um some of the best coffee in the world in my opinion um and this is all just 2 hours from from home um so i think i think it's important for you and for for others you know if you feel like that's something you want to do you should do it because uh it will also encourage others to do it as well. And I feel like the the travel bug for many is lies dormant until they do it for the first time.
2: That is so true. An Action Tribe, just to remind you that we're sitting here about five streets from the beach. And the beach is beautiful. Um, right now I think we've got a little bit seaweed coming in, mm. but I'm sure it's much better maybe October, November, when there's like pristine blue um, waters, which is so fascinating, fascinating to witness. And it's so close also compared to Canada and United States. One other thing I noticed is, a lot of people who I'm speaking to, uh, maybe they got started in a career that's not directly connected to, let's say, breath work, or let's say cold exposure, but very connected to spirituality. For example, in your case, like you were, explaining, you were, you know, like spending a lot of time in the dark room and getting those photos to develop and learning about light, right? And so learning about light is in a way learning about spirituality because spirituality is like light and darkness and working with these two powerful, I don't know, not elements, but states or places that you find yourself sometimes in life. And in my case, I started my career at Bose, you know, the audio brand. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was sound, you know, so I visited the headquarters, the research center in Framingham, and uh, went to the research center where they had all these different type of speakers. It was so large, and they played like multiple hours during the day just to test, um, you know, the the, this, the quality of the speaker cone. But I noticed that my pant was literally like vibrating. You know. And um, Mm -hmm. the other thing what I noticed was how people's emotions and mood and state overall changed once they would enter the, you know, music theater room, Mm. you know, and that's how we would sell the equipment, right, is to bring the people in and deliver that wow experience and just speaks to you know, how our state can change within within just a second or maybe a minute, right? Whether it's Absolutely. like cold showers, cold plunges, breath work, or even sound. Sound can be incredibly healing, uh, but it's also, you know, the right sound can heal you, the, the wrong sound, if it's like out of tune and, you know, it, it can lead to disease and illness, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, sound and light, yeah. Those those two things, you get those right in any business you have and i feel like it'll be successful you know what i mean and you get one or two or both of them wrong and you will be the opposite (laughs) um so i mean that's that's something that you know we can't control obviously the light at our experiences but we can control the sound and for us that's a huge part of our of our process um picking the music that we play, you know, we have, as you've been down there, we'd have two, uh, Bluetooth speakers. We, we try to make it as much of a surround sound experience as we can. We keep trying to add more speakers, but like getting, <laughs> it seems like getting more than two, they always start disconnecting. So we're, we're trying to use ChatGPT to properly, but, um, but yeah, those, those two elements are, are just make a huge difference in, in any, any experience, any business,
2: anything right and so how did you uh, discover breathwork and cold exposure? so i was
1: working in human rights um in seattle i was working for a anti-human trafficking organization and we mainly worked with the private sector so hotels brideshare, um we also worked with the public sector. We did some stuff with, with maritime with airports, but we would train people to identify victims of, of trafficking and, and, you know, train them how to navigate those conversations. And so as you can imagine that that was a little bit stressful, um, hearing a lot of those stories day in, day out, and then, you know, reciprocating and telling those stories to others, um, so I started to experience a lot of secondary trauma from from just repeating a lot of the stories that I was told. Um, so when 2020 happened, um, basically I I was sent to a uh, a training for I won't it's a, a rideshare company um, ahead of the Super Bowl. They wanted to train um, their drivers in case they interacted with victims of trafficking. And basically something happened where I missed an opportunity to identify a victim. And that was the beginning of it. Like for me, that was, that was where I've been able to track the beginning of my depression. Um, like for me, I I don't think depression is a disease. I don't think it's a chemical imbalance. I think it's stressful life events and lifestyle choices that you make that eventually add up and your body responds. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of it for me. So I fell into this, into this depression. I moved to Mexico thinking that I could escape this. (laughs) Um, but as soon as I got to Mexico, I realized, oh no, I, I, something is very, very wrong. Um, and you know, my relationship of three years then fell apart pretty quickly. Um, human, I've, I've lived a very wonderful life. I've experienced so many great things. I've traveled a ton. Um, I've met so many people from all over the world. I, I, I'm really very lucky in what I've done. But in that moment, I felt like I've done nothing. I haven't accomplished anything and I'm probably not going to accomplish anything. You know, I think we all experience depression a little bit differently. Um, but I kind of reached this, like, is this it? Like, wait a second, I'm, I have money, I'm making money, I'm living in a place where, you know, at the time I was living in Merida, which is a few hours north of Playa del Carmen. It's a beautiful city. I had a, a really nice house I was living in, and it just sort of felt like this is, not, this is not what I want, this is not what I need, but I don't know what that is. And um, I had had a lot of friends, family in my life who had experienced depression and who'd gone on medication and had just been on it for years and remained depressed. Um, and or worse, you know, I had an uncle who who took his own life after years and years of depression. Um, so I knew I didn't want to go that route. I knew I didn't want to take any pills. Um, so I just started looking for things that would maybe help pull me out of it. Um, the... Hard part was, I was so energetically depressed, I couldn't get off my couch. So I was living here in Playa del Carmen, I had just gotten to Playa, and I wanted to go out, I wanted to meet people, I wanted to go to yoga, but I just couldn't, I couldn't force myself off of my couch. I was just like glued, so I would just sit on my couch and just cry, like out of desperation, um, not knowing what was, what was wrong with me. But I found breathwork just looking online, looking for you know what are holistic practices that I don't know about. And when I found breathwork, I was just like, oh, I can I can do that on the couch. Like I don't have to leave the couch for that. So I I think I read one book and I was like, yep, this is it. And I joined a, a teacher training within about one week of this teacher training. So. One week of practicing one to two hours of um, ice bath. Um, So I think it was a combination of those things. But suddenly I was not just out of the depression. I felt better than I'd ever felt. I felt more in control of my body and of my thoughts than I had ever felt in my life. So it was sort of a how did this just happen Um, that then spawned my absolute passion for learning about what just went through my body so quickly that I was able to pull myself out of this depression when so many others that I've seen before just remained depressed for years. Um, So that was sort of what really drew me into it and got me so interested was just that, that sort of spike, that rocket jet out of you know, the lowest part of my life from, th- you know, thinking about suicide every day to thinking, oh my God, I'm going to do amazing things in my life and with my life. Um Yeah. So that, that, that was really the, the, the rocket fuel that got me on this, on this journey.
2: Yeah. The, the whole pandemic was so weird. It collapsed and expanded my sense of time and bended my sense of time in so many ways i still can't believe that it's been what three years since the pandemic began right and um so the pandemic was a very hard time for me as well uh just before the pandemic uh, began i experienced a heartbreak a breakup and that was really hard to process for me and um In 2020, around that time, like first couple of months, that's when I properly discovered, you know, breath work, you know, conscious connected breathing and, you know, breathing through to beats and to the music and all the science behind the breath that really got me very fascinated about what is possible when we just, you know, regulate our breathing and we shake and we move. And that sort of, had a huge impact on me. I had been doing cold showers, you know, prior to then. But what I noticed is when I was able to better regulate my breathing, I was able to enjoy the cold showers. Uh, Since 2016 was doing cold showers right in the morning, but I would do a warm shower first and then I would do like 30 seconds, maybe a minute or so of cold. But Then once I started blending it with, more effective and transformational breathing patterns i was able to i tried going into the cold directly and that was initially challenging but very euphoric as well um yeah and so and so that happened to me and then in 2021 my mom passed away so that was even more harder for me right and so the pandemic in itself uh, was hard, but it almost felt as if it was a spiritual journey in the sense that they say when you set a you know, major definite purpose or a goal for yourself, the universe will find ways to test you. And that could be through relationships, that could be through finances, through any other way, but it's, it's sort of testing you in a way to see if you have the fortitude and the resiliency and the determination to bounce back and find ways and methods to Realign and go back to your your uh, true north, so to speak. Mm. W- would you say that's been true for you as well?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I I think COVID was a test for everyone. And looking back, I mean, I'm I'm so glad it happened. I'm so glad it happened um, because there was so much in my life that I had just thrown to the wayside. Um, at the time you know i was in grad school i was working two jobs i was working in in human rights which which was really stressful and my eating my exercise just were were totally ignored um you know i said i was meditating i wasn't really like i wasn't there's a difference between sincere meditation and Oh yeah, like two, three minutes of meditation, like, or just trying to focus on something you know, it, it, I wasn't paying attention to my body at all. Um, and it, it showed in so many ways. Um, and you know, I suddenly my addiction started to pile up. You know, I was drinking every night. I started smoking cigarettes again. I got addicted to porn. I, um, I was eating you know, really shitty food every every day. It was just so many different things. Um, and so once I got out of that, and once I went through that depression, which again, I think the depression was a response to all of those habits, um, I was able to then say, okay, that was absolutely crazy. Now let's step back and look at every single one of these habits and see if we can manage them and get rid of them. And so that's what I did. Um, The smoking stopped automatically. As soon as I started doing breath work, it stopped automatically. Um, Why, I have a couple theories behind that, but we'll get back to that. Um, Drinking, like, I wish I could say I stopped completely, but I very, very, very much cut back on that. Um, And then, you know, with the, I think, what a lot of men struggle with, but are too shy or ashamed to talk about it, is you know addiction to porn, um, and that had definitely happened to me, um, and it was you know it had gotten in the way of my relationships. I just had a very hypersexualized relationship with 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 sex, um, and so I started to get into tantra because Tantra dealt a lot with breathing. And at that time, anything that had to do with breathing I was interested in. So I got very um, I got very into people like Montak Chia, people who had really studied Tantra and breathing techniques in order to, you know, help you control your sexuality because I think that's a big thing for a lot of men. It's just they don't know how to control it, right? also don't know how to communicate with women which is a whole nother thing but this was in thailand this was here
2: it was here this was here
1: yeah so i had so i had gone to a um actually gone to a tantra retreat here in mexico with now a very good friend of mine mariposa um and that really helped me get that habit out of the way so um yeah
2: Amazing. Yeah, I've been wanting to go for one of uh, Mantak Chia's uh, retreats. I know he's in Thailand, right? Mm -hmm. I've been uh, reading his books uh, for years now, but I want to have that in-person experience, that guidance, that tutorial, Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, surrounding myself with other people who are on the same journey. So that's one one thing on my bucket list. I spoke to Brian yesterday at the Cold Plunge place, and he also mentioned, I'm not sure if it's the same place, but he mentioned Ista. Was a, there was a workshop, mm. Tantra workshop. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So um, what I wanted to say was, firstly, I wanted to know how you moved from Merida to here and why, because you said that you were living there at one place and I've spoken to one person in Merida and he was like, this is a nice place. It's the right place from the beach as well. I think about 35, 45 minutes drive from Progreso. Uh, so I wanted to understand that, but I wanted to also comment on smoking. So, I used to smoke at one point in university, but I just quit pretty randomly, I don't know why. Not because of breath work particularly, but maybe because there was an inner desire for me to quit and I just stopped it. But what I also see is smoking is a way for a person to breathe diaphragmatically, right? Absolutely. Like you Take these long, deep sighs, mm-hmm. yes, there is some benefit, and obviously the nicotine also helps, but it's not good for you in the long term. And so I guess breath work in a way allows you to do something similar, but it's much more healthy for you.
1: A hundred percent. Like that's exactly (laughs) what you're doing, right? When you're smoking, you're just taking deep breaths. Yeah. So I think it's people not realizing that that's what's happening. Mm. And breath work allows you, can allow you to very seriously manage stress and anxiety in your life. So if you, once you start practicing breath work and once you really get it down, there's zero reason to smoke cigarettes. Because, you know, if you think about every time you're triggered to smoke a cigarette, it's mainly out of stress and anxiety. Um, A lot of it is habit as well, right? But so much of it is a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of stress. And I mean, for me, like once I started breathing, That stress and anxiety went from like a 15 to like a 0.3. And so I feel like now anxiety and stress is not gone from my life. I just manage it. And every time it pops up, I don't let it simmer in my body or in my mind. I immediately stop what I'm doing. And generally, I start doing a coherent breathing practice, like six seconds in, six seconds out. And within five minutes, it's gone. You know, I just I don't let that impact my life anymore. It's just not worth um, the physical effects of of stress and and anxiety. There's a, there is some good stress, obviously, but um, that negative stress of those things that you can't control, like I'm I'm over letting that affect my body anymore. So I immediately, whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, I stop and just start doing some coherent breathing.
2: So how did you end up in uh, Playa and how would you compare and contrast Merida from Playa as a city? I don't know if
1: I'm the best person for that because when I was in Merida, it was still kind of locked down. So, um, however, I did get to you know explore a lot. I, lo- I mean, the town is so much different. It's much bigger. There's great music. There's great jazz merida i think is kind of a hidden gem because first of all it's one of the safest cities in north america like the third safest city in in north america people think like mexico like safe but it is incredibly safe um and yeah they have this great this great music scene but everything in merida is behind a door behind a gate it's not like a lot of other places in Mexico where you walk down the street and you see everything you walk down the streets in metadata and you don't see anything. So you think like, there's nothing here. So I feel like a lot of tourists go there and they immediately leave because they don't really do the work to understand where these places are. But once you know, you have to like go to the door, knock on the door. And then there's these beautiful oases, you know, behind these big, these big gates. Um, so for that reason, Merida is great. The other reason is the cenotes. And that's that's what I uh, I got certified to scuba dive there in the cenotes. And that was eventually, that's what led me to Playa because I was like, oh, well, now I'm certified. I hear the diving in Playa is really great. I'll go down and, and check Playa out. So that was what brought me down here from Merida. Got it,
2: got it. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed about uh, Mexico. At least some restaurants... Um, you would think twice before venturing into that restaurant, mainly because how it looks outside. You know, Mm it's sort of gated and, you know, you're like not really sure if it's the right place to be. But then if you go on Google and be like, oh, this place has got like 800 reviews, why? Mm -hmm. And then somebody tells you, you got to check out that place. It's got really good seafood. And then you're like, okay, I've got two reasons to go, right? One reason to not go because it doesn't look that appealing in the entrance. And then as you enter the place, they lead you to another room, and they'd be like, oh, it's crowded. And there are a lot of Mexicans having food here. Mm-hmm. And the food is good. Right. But then yeah. when you look at it from outside, it becomes feels welcoming. I guess in a way we're used to that experience, right? Maybe in mm-hmm. Canada or for that matter, United States, where they look into every aspect of the experience from the start till finish.
1: Yeah, and I think there are a lot of, yeah, a lot of cities in Mexico are like that. Even, you know, San right. Miguel de Allende up in Guanajuato, uh-huh. uh, San Cristobal de las Casas over in Chiapas, you, you do have to go inside. Right. So yeah, that, that is a, a big difference, um, but it's super unique
2: too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking about uniqueness, what is unique about Playa, the perspective, but from your perspective, why do you like living here? Or, f- or for that matter, from, yeah. contrasting it with somebody like who's coming new to playa, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's unique about it. So I
1: came from Seattle, mm-hmm. which is beautiful, uh, and which can be a very cold place socially. They call it the Seattle freeze, <laughs> and I experienced that pretty hard. <laughs> um, I was there for almost four years and never, you know, I had friends here and there, but I never really had like a community um the moment i came here it was like in under a month i had a community of people it wasn't just that though it was what people started handing me you know i someone said i was or uh, one of the first friends i met here took me to my first ice bath you know that was week 3 of being here the ice bath is one, one of the big things that helped really pull me out of my depression um, then someone said, oh, you know, I have this chiropractor appointment that I can't get the, do you want it? Oh, I don't think I really need it, but I guess I'll go. You know, I, I went and he's like, oh man, you have two vertebrae that are out of, out of line. I need to put them back in. People just kept handing me all these things that I had never been exposed to before that helped me so much. You know, the Tantra retreat was another one that, um, just kind of fell on my, on my lap. um, and that's, I hear that story probably the most. People coming to Playa in a really bad place and suddenly their life has just changed for the better. Um, and I think sometimes it's, Playa is deceiving because a lot of people see Fifth Avenue and they see all the tourism. And I I honestly never would have thought I'd live in a place like this because it is very touristy. Um, but there is just something about it, you know? Like the, the community here is cool. Like you... There's a group for everything. There's a meetup I feel like for everything, um, and it's not that big of a place. So I think it's it's just a group of people who are very extroverted or want to be extroverted. Um, they want to meet people. They want to make new friends. Um, so I, I think for me, it's it's just been such a cool journey being here. Of 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 learning, I've just learned a ton since I've been here.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting that you say that because I'm from Vancouver and Seattle and Vancouver are kind of sister cities, right? Similar in some sense. But Vancouver is similar, you know? Uh, that's what they say. It's supposedly very clicky and it's sort of ha- hard to find, uh, you know, like a extended social group there or just activities and things to do. I mean, there are some activities, but I definitely f- did find that, It's harder to, you know, like um, uh, make an extended circle or like a social group. And the thing is about Vancouver, I've not lived any other place in Canada. So I don't know. I can't compare and contrast. right? you know, here's how Toronto is. Here's how Montreal is. And so for me, coming here has been very interesting because in such a short period of time, I've connected with, you know, multiple people in Puerto Morelos and somebody said, you got to go here and here. And then I came here and then I met you. And now I'm speaking to Susanna, hopefully before I leave. Uh, Yeah, so there's definitely something to say about what you mentioned. There's so many things to do, like Facebook groups for like, you know, volleyball and, you know, different activities called exposure and and yoga. Um, And And it's right on the beach. And it's right on the beach. It's right on the beach, (laughs) you know, and, and you don't have to pay
1: five thousand dollars to live on the beach you know you can you can live it's getting more and more expensive but you can live near the beach for relatively cheap yeah um and the beaches here aren't always in the best shape you know like you mentioned we do have the sargasso yeah but like even today i was down there it was perfect it was crystal clear there was no seaweed um and we have all the cenotes around here yeah you know and the cenotes are uh these very magical places mm-hmm. that we can just go and access whenever we want.
2: Exactly, and the way I look at it initially, I thought, oh my god, the sargasso, you know, like it's gonna be brown and it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to you know swim in the water. But then I realized that that's part of nature, right? Mm. That's just nature's own way of doing something. I'm not fully aware of what it, you know, the role it plays in the grand scheme of things in the ecosystem, but it's playing some some role. And I noticed that as the sargasso sort of comes towards the coast you have a lot of birds that are feeding on it and so it's part of the whole and by you know um yearning for it not to be there it's in fact selfish Mm. in a way right because it's Mm. like saying i want to swim in the blue waters so i don't want this here but what about the birds what about the other you know animals that are part of this grand ecosystem um and 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 like you pointed out, there's cenotes. You know, there's, there's might be a pool nearby, or you can go to Cozumel. I heard Cozumel has less sargassa, right? It it does. But but even a lot of times it's <laughs> it's like within the first yeah, that's ten true. meters of just the beach, a bit, you know,
1: right? you just have to swim for thirty seconds Correct. and you're past it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean I complain about it too sometimes, but then I, <laughs> I have to stop and, and think like, it's not that bad, Captain. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I live I live still on this be- at this beautiful place so i i need to remember that that is awesome that is
2: awesome. so what made you uh want to turn your passion for breath work and cold exposure into a business because i know that every entrepreneur has this epiphany or this realization that they have a lot of times it's like this deep spiritual um satori moment you have like this is what i need to do this is what the world needs so for me it was uh, actually last year when i did a cold plunge at a friend's place i was recording a podcast like this and we decided to do a cold plunge in vancouver and i think they were just coming out of the winter and uh, it was a beautiful place also because that you know she had a veranda and then all as you look around you see like all the high-rise buildings in vancouver so very beautiful as well But when I was in the water, I had this realization that I love cold exposure, cold plunging so much that I got to go deeper into this, but also I need to share this medicine with other people. Mm -hmm. So in this case, what what was it for you? When did you have that realization?
1: Work coach unsuccessfully, you know, have very few clients trying to make it work. Um, And I was doing the ice baths on the side because for me, they were just, I, I felt like I needed them but I was only doing them once a week. Um, so about, just about a year ago, this guy, Phil Parkinson, started coming to the ice baths and Phil had started this pretty successful fitness company out in ice bath one day and was like, hey, you know, I really believe in what you're doing. You know, I I built this building pr- to help you if you wanted to try and turn this into a business. And at first I said, no. Cause I was like, yeah, my breath work is my passion. You know, that's what I really want to focus on. So I said, no. And then I thought about it for a couple weeks and breath work is, or at least at that stage in my life, I was kind of like, I'm not sure. I don't know how to get people to believe in this, but I know that people can believe in ice baths because it's instantaneous because it's it's kind of sexy right um but the, the biggest thing is like you feel it you cannot help but feel uh amazing afterwards right um so i was like if i can get people here for the ice bath we're gonna do the breathing beforehand so i can get them to do the breathing so hopefully they'll get hooked on one or the other. And if they just get hooked on breathing and they never come back again, then I've done my job, right? Like, but because that was my ultimate goal. Like, I need to get people to understand the importance of, of using their breath. Um, and right away, uh, we noticed a lot of things. Um, a, yes, we were correct and people want to do the cold, but you know, we started noticing differences in ourselves once we started practicing this regularly, um, and and so from then from from that point forward, we we understood like yes, we need to keep going with this because there's so much more to this than what we had previously understood.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's very very interesting because recently I came to the same conclusion because I've been doing breath work, which is great, which is amazing. But the way I look at it is that you can do breath work, you know, at a retreat, at a beautiful place where everything is perfect. You don't have any challenges in your life. But the real, uh, you know, uh, thing is how do you breathe when you're in discomfort, where you're in a stressful environment, Mm -hmm. when you're in in pain, so to speak. And a lot of times that's hard to um, bring about unless you are in a journey of your life where you are in that anxiety or depression, but the cold water does it for you, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't help but change your breathing when you are in the cold and when you practice like you pondered in the cold and you do it ongoing, then the way you show up in other areas of your life that can be difficult, challenging, with a lot of obstacles, that's when you notice that shift. So,
1: a 100%. That, the way you breathe, the way yeah. you react to it. Yeah. The, like for for myself and a lot of people that come down, Mm-hmm. Um, for the ice baths, it's we, we talked about these, the similarity of previously putting up a lot of walls, right? Like every time something comes up like, ah, that's, that's hard, like that's a problem that we we just can't solve. Once we started really getting into the ice baths, doing them regularly, I, I stopped saying that. I stopped thinking that way and said like, okay, this is, this is a, an interesting problem to solve um this is something that that we can do you know like let's let's just let's just problem solve let's be creative how do we how do we get around this and i didn't i wasn't doing that before i I would just stop because i felt like this is something i can't do but once you start making a daily practice of doing something that's really challenging on your body and you remain calm you know your your body's stress response just completely changes and your body just realizes like, oh yeah, this is stressful, but just breathe nice and slow and we're gonna get through it. Um and that's I think that's what helped pull me out of my depression too. You know, the first time I did a nice bath, you know, f- for people who've done it, they know that first minute is the hardest part. And your brain is saying, No, 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 this is too cold. This is too cold. You have to get out. The pain is going up, up, up. Um, but you just breathe. You just don't listen to that part of your brain. And after a minute or so, the pain starts to plateau and then it starts to go down. Um, and for me, that was the, the, the point when I, when I realized, oh, yeah, I'm in control. I'm in control of my thoughts. You know, after six months of negative self-talk, it was that quick realization of, like, I can turn
2: it off if I want to. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that you're using the word we a lot, which is amazing. And it speaks to the that you're collaborating a lot with other people who are on the same journey. So talk to us a bit about collaboration and how do you find people to collaborate with in maybe your business or whatever you're trying to create? Mm. Yeah,
1: well, you know, myself and Phil Parkinson were the, were the ones who founded the company. And then immediately um, we started to get a few I associates, as we like to call them, I uh, I <laughs> um, you know, people who had been coming, who really believed in it, um, who wanted to help out. You know, so really quickly, we kind of had a team of. Uh, there's about five of us: um, Phil, Sarah, uh, Paul, and Kayla, and myself. We've we've all been working doing a ton like leading the classes right is one thing doing social media paul is kind of our photographer he does a lot of um imagery um but it's it's been such a 100 a collaborative work right because going into it you think like yeah this experience is is great and then you know the people that you work with are like oh we can do this better like okay let's change that and then someone's like oh we can do this better too Um, and I think in the past I would have gotten a little bit offended by that. Like, no, you guys, this is, I I created this. This is great. (laughs) Um, but it's true. Like you can always improve an experience that you have. So I think that, that part was, was really, was really important for us. Um, but like me personally, like I collaborate with a lot of people here in Playa with with other teachers with with Tantra teachers, with breathwork teachers, uh, with free divers um, anytime I can because we all have so much to learn from one another, right and everyone looks at breathing cold exposure, meditation a little bit differently um, and we're all our own understanding of it is constantly evolving. So, I mean, generally when people reach out and they want to collaborate on on something, I'm normally very open to it. Um for that reason. Um and I think you know, when something when someone who lives here in Playa reaches out to me, it's generally a yes because I I don't know, we because what we the energy here is just like you know, we meet people down at the ice baths all the time who are like, Hey, we want to help you guys out. Like, what can we do for you? So I feel like for me, I, I know I'm making an impact when that's happening. Like when people are reaching out to you being like, we just want to help out. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's amazing to see that process, you know? And for me, like, this is the first business I've ever built. Um, and if this is what it's like for everyone else, then I understand why people do it so often, or you know, the really successful people do it multiple times throughout their life because it it's truly incredible to kind of experience this and to just see like how kind, compassionate people are, like when they when they can relate to something, when they can relate to the people that um, are are facilitating these experiences. Um. yeah, it's just, it's really incredible.
2: Yeah, that's that's very true. What I've heard is uh, when a person identifies what makes a successful business, you know, all the different moving pieces, all the things that need to be in place, then they want to do it often and often, right? Because Mm -hmm. then they realize that uh, it's not so elusive and there are certain things that need to come together in order to uh, make something successful. And I guess part of it is the story right is the vision behind it, which is why people come and want to be uh partaking in that journey and seeing how they can support yeah 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 that's amazing amazing um so I want to talk a bit about uh, money what is money to you and how do you relate to it and um have you all always had the same mindset, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to money? Because we all have our own story, right? And obviously, it's an ongoing journey. Um, but but where are you at with that?
1: It's a great question. Um, <laughs> I've had an interesting relationship with it from a really young age. For me, I did not want anything to do with it, mm-hmm. and I think that was from a lot of people that I met when I was young who had a lot of it who seemed absolutely miserable so I didn't care about money ever. Um, and I think that's why it never came to me, (laughs) but I learned how to do exactly what I wanted to do without it. Um, I traveled all around the world. I worked all around the world. Um, I lived, you know, when I wanted to live somewhere, I would make it happen. Um, and I was never really like just scraping by, you know, I was always able to be doing things that I genuinely enjoyed doing, which was mostly photography, which was mostly leading um, other experiences, photography and uh, experiential education trips. Um, so I, I I, kind of did a lot with, with very little, uh, and then it wasn't until I was maybe 32 when I was like, okay, I think I want to make some money now. Um, so, of course, my next move was to go thousands and thousands of dollars into debt by going to grad school. Um, and then graduating from from grad school, realizing that I didn't want to do that. So um, that wasn't the best first move. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still hadn't changed my relationship with money at that point um
2: was was that photography that you studied in grad school or
1: no that was uh so i went to s- school for public administration okay. um where i was studying global human trafficking trends and commercial sexual demand reduction um so kind of aligned with not kind of it aligned with the human rights work that i was doing um and it wasn't really until a few years ago when i decided you know what i just wanted to i just want it to come and i don't want to think about it that much but i want it to come so i'm not the kind of person that that you know does a lot of like my meditation is not necessarily based around money it i really try and just focus on i want people to be impacted and i want people to be happy that's sort of it um but it has been interesting to see how that has changed um in a lot of ways my relationship with with money um but yeah it's it's a it's an interesting i I think we all maybe have different journeys but yeah it wasn't until my late 30s when i finally switched and said okay now i'm now i'm ready to receive it interesting
2: interesting one thing Other I'm finding over here is um, I'm meeting a lot of entrepreneurs who are in their late 30s, maybe early 40s, which is good to to see and witness. Uh, And it just speaks to the fact that you don't have to be in your early 20s to be like a successful millionaire slash entrepreneur slash business owner, right? A lot of times, you know, universe takes its time to give you all these different experiences and learnings and obstacles. And only then do you come to a place where you... Are able to firstly identify what you want and then take inspired action to pursue it. Uh, so my question to you is: Have you have you um, done human design? Do you know what your human design archetype is? I still have not. No,
1: <laughs> no. I've been asked that question many times. and okay. I still have not. No. Okay. Okay. I That's on the to-do list.
2: Got it. Because I was curious, like what what archetype you are? Because mm-hmm. I'm a projector myself. Okay. I'm a projector six two. So in my case, the narrative is. Or at least that's what human design says. That in my early lives, especially 20s and early 30s, I'm supposed to be trying out a lot of different things, different ways of doing business, and seeing a lot of failure and obstacles and challenges, but doing a lot of inner work as well, mm. right? Because, let's like Thomas Edison said, uh, what did he say? Like, you know, I've not found uh, you know 9,999 failures. I've found these many ways at not to make a light bulb mm-hmm. right and so so that's that what uh, that's the s- story um, you know arc of a projector but also a projector is someone who supposedly cannot initiate but he needs or she needs an invitation mm. invitation to work with invitation from clients invitations to start a relationship and meanwhile the suggest- suggested strategy is that they need to be working on their craft Like, really honing it, improving it, studying it, learning the patterns, learning about business and entrepreneurship and marketing, or maybe their, you know, whether it's breath work or cord exposure, really being a master at their craft Mm -hmm. so that people notice and they send that invitation. Mm -hmm. And they've got like different types of people. There are like generators, and uh, projectors, and manifestors, and reflectors. And each person has, has, you know, has their own sort of specific, um, I guess, narrative that they experience a life mm-hmm. and certain ways to succeed. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting in terms of how it is designed because I noticed that there are certain things that have happened in my life that are similar to what a projector might experience.
1: I'll have to take the test after after the uh, the show today. Yeah, yeah. will get back yeah. to you on that. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Let me know, let me know. So as an entrepreneur, uh, who is one person that you look up to when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to business, or maybe and or one book that you often reference when it comes to learning about entrepreneurship. Is there something like that?
1: I would say an entrepreneur that I look up to is Dr. Kelly Brogan. Okay. Um, Kelly is, she's written a few books now, but her, the book that really resonated with me was A Mind of Your Own. Um, she's a trained psychologist, and for years she was you know, going the traditional psychology route. And then a lot of things happened in her life where she changed her patterns, changed her behaviors, and then started doing the same with her patients. And by that, I mean stopped prescribing traditional medicine and solely started focusing on people's diet and people's um, exercise and she has had incredible success with that which is um very interesting because when you look her up in wikipedia apparently she is a conspiracy theorist um who spread misinformation uh so that just goes to show the power that is combating her but um in terms of you know Pushing back against that system, which can be very difficult um, if you're having those kind of anti-big pharma conversations, you're bound to, or you have a very big chance of just people not reaching you. But she's done an absolutely amazing job at getting her message out there, as as controversial unfortunately as it is. I think in the next 30 years, people will look back and say... Uh, I cannot believe a person like that was, was, you know, silenced. Um, but she's definitely an entrepreneur who I, who I really admire. And in terms of books, uh, you know, right now I'm actually reading think and grow rich, which is kind of one of the, uh, old school books on entrepreneurship. Um, I think it was in the early forties it was published um, but it, it was, it's fascinating to kind of hear all these ideas that I generally hear right now from people like, uh, Joe Dispenza, um, James Nestor, you know, uh, Montauk Chia, like this guy was talking about this 70 years ago. Um, so it's, it's cool. Like for, for me, I, I love hearing all these old stories about Thomas Edison, about, um, about Ford, about all these people in the 30s and 40s and how they were growing their businesses and how people were trying to combat them back then. and you see these similarities of you know business owners now and they're facing the same kind of scrutiny and um, so th- that's that's one that I that I really enjoy.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the pandemic also opened up so many different it sort of opened people's eyes also. That's why they say 2020 vision, right? Mm-hmm. Because you come out of, the, were in, and they noticed, and they were able to think for themselves, and they were able to, you know, logically assess, come out of their, you know, uh, uh, camps that they were finding themselves in, whether it was a, like the left or right camp, or I believe in this or I believe in that, and objectively look at the person and their message and see if it resonates with you or not. Mm-hmm. And what also happened also, a lot of these people were deemed conspiracy theorists, right? But if you really look at the word conspiracy, what does it mean? Conspirar, which means to breathe together. So if somebody is encouraging a person to think openly, independently, and breathe together, then the establishment does not like it. And unfortunately, right, uh, they were sort of canceled socially. And because a lot of people are so used to... Thinking like the hive, they would just go about it. And then if you ask them, why did you, why did you cancel? Why do you not dislike? Why do you not like them? They don't have any answer. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like if somebody is branded conspiracy theorist, it means that they're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I need to objectively analyze what they're saying, but I don't like canceling people just because the media is saying so. Right?
1: Hundred percent. I mean, I, I was definitely a wokester at one point in my life living in in Seattle I am sad to say it but yeah I I I was in that camp and I feel terrible <laughs> <laughs> I I you know but it but it's it's I'm I'm glad it happened like I'm I'm glad I was able to go through that and then get out of it uh because you know nowadays I just I don't care if you you know got vaccinated or not or if you're a republican or, or a democrat like it just doesn't matter to me like I, i'm i'm interested in people's energy i'm interested in people's kindness i'm interested in what other people do um how you treat other people you know that's that's about it so um Yeah. 2020 did a lot of things and that was definitely one of the positive ones for me was just to stop caring about like what camp you're in, Mm. what side you're on, um, and was, you know, enabled just kind of see how cyclical a lot of these, these arguments, especially in politics. You know, I used to be so interested and invested in politics, um, But then I kind of step back and I'm like, we're just repeating the same things over and over and over and over again. And for me, I stopped watching the news about two years ago and it was the best decision of my life. Like, um, and some people say that's a very privileged thing. Uh, and I just disagree 100% because, um, the news is a business. You know they're not there to give you the news. <laughs> they're there to keep you there, and so they're going to do whatever they can to do that. And so if if you think it's you know our responsibility to sit down and listen to some people's opinions about the worst things that are happening in the world, that's fine. And if you want to do that, like that's that's totally fine. But for me, I just
2: i i don't i don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you heard of Neville Goddard? No. Neville Goddard, uh, like you were talking about, Think and Grow Rich, which is a comparatively older book, right? And a lot of these new books are based partly on some of the concepts discussed in that book, Think and Grow Rich. Neville Goddard was uh, one of the first guys, at least in the West, who wrote about manifestation. Mm -hmm. This was in the 30s or 40s, I believe. But his writings are so succinct that it feels like he's clearing past all the clutter. You know, what you see in The Secret? What you see in those that edition that sort of started a huge movement, I don't know, 15, 20 years back? This, I think Neville Goddard's writing are even more clear. And he talks about a concept called living in the end, which is about obviously understanding what you want, assuming that you've already achieved what you want, and you're living that life. And you're looking back at the old life from the future, mm because it assumes that things have already transpired and you're already in the end, Wow! right? And he has all these different amazing practices but also uh, techniques, easy to say, but hard to implement, right? Like how do you go about living in the end? And that's where I think Mm -hmm. all these breath work and cold shower practices and yoga helps because you can't just think yourself to the end, you got to be in the end, right? Like your Mm -hmm. whole body needs to join you (laughs) along Mm -hmm. with your thoughts. Yeah. But, but I find his writings really good. Neville Goddard. Cool. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So, uh, I know we spoke a bit about this at the start before we started recording, but have you had any deeply spiritual experiences that you can look back in hindsight and say, what was that? Or, you know, hundred mm-hmm. percent.
1: So the most interesting one happened about a year and a half ago when I was, I went to a Tantra retreat. So I think as I mentioned, I, you know, I had this really unhealthy relationship to sexuality, to intimacy, and I needed to address it. So, um, this Tantra retreat kind of just fell into my periphery. And so I went on it had an amazing experience, got back, you know, was just feeling so great. It was just, you know, it was a weekend of vegetarian food, you know, no alcohol, um, very open and vulnerable communication with people. So I was feeling great. I woke up the next morning feeling terrible, like feeling really bad. And I couldn't understand it and i just started feeling worse and worse and i started crying and suddenly i was like i think i'm supposed to remember something and i started to get this phrase in my mind that said remember who you are and that started just kind of circulating and i was just like what is this and am i supposed to remember something from my past and the more i tried to think about it the more the <clears throat> the sadder i got that i couldn't remember it and i just started crying even more and and i was like okay maybe i'll 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 try to get this out so i put on my headphones and i started listening to some memory recall music and that didn't really do anything so i was like maybe i'll write down what i'm thinking so i started writing down what i was thinking And I wrote the word sacrifices. And as soon as I wrote that word, my whole body just froze. And I started to cry so hard that like nothing was coming out. And I got this image of being a child in the back of a horse-drawn cart, going down this dirt road and seeing this monk or this priest kind of watching me leave and I knew in that moment that I had been a slave and that someone traded places with me so that I could be free and that they would be in slavery. And I understood that they were going to die a pretty terrible death. I, and I, I mean, I felt that helplessness that a child feels um, very, very strongly. And, and then it was over and i snapped out of it and i was just like what the hell just happened and started piecing it together th- over the course of the day from a very very young age i used to tell my parents you know if i die i want to die saving someone else's life they were like okay that's good kev and uh, go and play um like my my heroes were like william wallace from scotland michael collins from ireland like these freedom fighters with that um and i always had this very very strong hatred of slavery until i eventually ended up working in in modern day slavery you know against modern day slavery so i think a that was i had a past life regression i remembered a past life And B, I think the reason that it happened was because it was a part of my soul that I just needed to heal. And I did. At that point, I I was still working for this uh, anti-trafficking organization. At that point, I was like, okay, I'm done with that. And I'm ready to move on. And that's when I made the transition to working as a breathwork teacher and um, was just able to leave that part of my life behind. Interesting.
2: Yeah. That's what a lot of people are coming to the realization, especially people listening to this show, is that things just don't start when you're born. Yes, there are cycles. Within these cycles, or out of these cycles, there's one whole journey. Your last cycle, which is your last life, sort of spills over to this life in terms of your yearnings, in terms of your trauma, in terms of your preferences Mm. or maybe things that you're afraid of and oftentimes we try to figure out what happened during childhood Mm. but maybe it's not childhood maybe it was your previous life Mm -hmm. and you need to be open enough from a mindset standpoint to even consider data information experiences from that previous life.
1: I think that's why we we have so many preferences when we're young. That's true. You know what I mean? Like suddenly you're a two-year-old and you want things this way, you want this this way, you know, you have all of these likes already. Mm-hmm. Did that come from the last couple months of, you, right. you know what I mean? Like I, I think about that all the time, like that we just bring a lot of these things from our past life into this one. Yeah. Have
2: you heard of Vedanta? I don't think so. Vedanta is a beautiful uh, school of philosophy. Falls under Sanatana Dharma, which is Hinduism, mm. but there are different schools of philosophy, and Vedanta is perhaps the more, the most scientifically aligned philosophy from India. Mm. It's all about self-inquiry, and it's all about thinking through something, and coming to your own conclusion. Obviously, there are the texts, but it is encouraged that you come through your own. In- you know, a uh, conclusion based on your personal experience. Mm-hmm. And it talks about something called vasana, which is these yearnings that we tend to have. And a lot of times it's not childhood, but it's a previous, like, you can't even explain it because it's so karmically related. But like you, like you pointed out, right? Like some people, like they're born and they're three years old and they just want to pay a piano. It doesn't make sense, but they just want to do that. Mm-hmm. Some of us have tried like different things, like being a photographer. This, 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 this. There were some people like, I want to be a pianist. I want to do just this, and I'll be the best pianist by seventeen or eighteen. I just want. This. It's probably because I don't know. They were like Mozart or somebody else in the previous life,
1: or do you think that they
2: they decided this is what I'm going to do in this life? That could also be the case, right? Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe they had the right container, Mm -hmm. like parents who were pianists, I don't know, like provided them the right experiences, because they say, right, the first like seven years of your life is where you're really absorbing everything from language and learning and skills. And if you had like a bad experience at this phase, maybe it affects the trajectory of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Or or if you didn't have like that, so it's it's definitely pretty complicated. Yeah. Have
1: you read Nine Lives? No, No, I have not. Nine Lives is is a book from it's an Indian author. It's about it's oh. it's nine different people's lives in India. Okay, it's it's a Sikh. It's a um hmm, It's a shaman. Mm-hmm. I think there's a. I mean, India is so incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much one of my favorite countries in the world, and I feel like you could go to you could pick any like 30 square miles in India and it's going to be more diverse than any place on earth um but this he he chooses these nine different people and kind of just follows them for for a while and one is a
2: a nun and i can't, how
1: many religions are there in india Jainism
2: Jain? It might be. Because a lot of nuns in Jainism, they were it like might white be. clothes and yeah. they walked bare feet everywhere. Okay. It or might be might might something been else also.
1: But, but she, you know, there, what she described was, you know, not having any attachments. And she was young. She was 29, maybe 30. And she started to get attached to one of the nuns that was there, just became friends with her and that nun died and so she was like okay my time has come i i can't be here anymore and it wasn't a like i'm so sad it was just a i'm ready to go and she just stopped eating and then you know a few weeks later she was she was gone and it's 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 um like that's what's so interesting to me about we all have so much to learn from India from all of the practice like you could spend a million lifetimes and not cover everything that is is there um but you have you know these these perspectives like that which is it's just it's, it's for me, it's just very interesting to to hear. I feel like the most if you want the most diverse perspectives in the world, you you go to India. You might not agree with with everything, right? You might not agree with all the choices. And that doesn't matter. What matters is just being able to see like this is how someone can live. this is how someone can live.
2: yeah, that's that's very true. us as, as Indians are also still rediscovering what we know of India. Mm. Because in the last like 150 years, uh, partly due to colonization and things like that, there were so many things that were erased from the collective experience and we forgot who we truly were. Mm. And we were like wanting to wear jeans and you know stuff like that and trying to ape more of the West. And so now what's happening is we are leading a more balanced life where we emulate everything that we like from the world. But at the same time, we're also looking back into things like the Vedas and yoga and Ayurveda and Tantra and other forms of spirituality and really going deep within. And, and to your point, there's so much in abundance of uh, wisdom that is available Um, from, and there's always a choice where it's like, you're not supposed to go this way. You choose, you know, the direction that you want to go in your own spirituality. And even in India till date, the concept is called Ishta Devata, where each family gets to worship their own God, because deep down we know that through all these different gods, you're reaching that one God, which is Brahma. Mm. So there's a lot of choice, and uh, yeah, I want to go deeper into learning more about all these different schools of philosophy because it's so liberating and empowering. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure you might have seen a lot of places that I haven't visited, like Ladakh. I've not been to Ladakh. I've not been to Taj Mahal. So, in so many ways, I got to discover my own India. Hopefully, at some point, <laughs> can I
1: can I share one quick story about yeah, Ladakh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for those of you listening, Ladakh is about. Um, four and a half thousand meters above sea level so from a place like Delhi you fly I don't know two hours and you land in this beautiful snow-covered Himalayan peaks everywhere I heard when the first commercial flight landed when the first plane landed there um, villagers came running to the airport with armfuls of hay to feed this giant beast that had just made this long (laughs) journey So this is the kind of place, and that was in the seventies. Um, so it's it's very very remote. It's unbelievably gorgeous. Uh, there's about two hours from Leh. There's a place called Hemis Monastery. It's one of the oldest monasteries in Buddhism. It was built within a hundred years after the Buddha passed away. The place that it's built is behind this massive rock wall kind of just at the foothills of this mountain range so all the invading armies over the years never saw this monastery so it's kept everything it's had since its inception including these scrolls that date back to the time of when they first um, opened the monastery and every nine years they unravel these scrolls and they read from them they were reading from these scrolls that dated back about 2000 years. And it was talking about a foreigner that came and after a short time was actually preaching to the monks about Buddhism. He'd study religions, you know, he he just seemed to be very worldly knowledgeably, uh, worldly knowledgeable about religion, about life. Um, And his name was Jesus so this kind of started a whole like a bunch of historians going out there to understand if this had actually happened if jesus was traveling and studying religions prior to his whole jc savior um like the evidence is kind of a jesus lived in india um but it's when you're there when you're at this particular monastery you feel like something happened there like it is one of the most powerful places i've ever been to
2: that is amazing. I, I, I read part of that book. Mm-hmm. Jesus lived in India. And did you read about the story of Nikolai Nikolovich? I don't think so. He was one of the travelers. Okay. And he was in the mountains and he had an accident. He rescued by the monks because there were like snow all over. There was an avalanche. Mm-hmm. And so as he was recovering in the monastery, he goes into one of the chambers. And then they start talking about this one person from far in the west. Who had come here 2000 years back, called like Isa. They call him Isa. Mm. And they were like this, then everything was described just as he was, but he had to go back because his mission lied in the West. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise, where's the other explanation, right? Like, wh- what happened during the, I don't know, 15, 20 years? I think it's called the dark phases of Jesus's life where there's no written records of where he was. But I, I strongly feel that because of the similarities between, you know, what he preached in the new Testament and what is taught, you know, in certain schools of philosophy, Buddhism, but also like uh, Hinduism, like, you know, uh, self love and compassion and vegetarianism also in certain areas, they mentioned that he was a vegetarian. So mm. I believe that he visited egypt he learned a lot from egypt from the mystery schools he visited india as well he visited like you know tibet also and then he then he went back which is pretty uh, interesting because in my life i was exposed to christianity and hinduism mm-hmm. my dad is a hindu my mom was a christian gotcha so i grew up going to the church i grew up going to the temple and i was in a unique perspective to be able to read both the bible old testament and new testament and the you know, uh, books of, you know, Hinduism and sort of see similarities. And at least there was this, you know, seed in my mind of learning about Jesus. And it always struck me, like, what happened? Like, all of a sudden, he's 33 now. or And and what happened before that? Right. Right? For someone to be that wise, yeah, he
1: must have traveled. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah.
2: And also think about this. In those days, well the Roman Empire was trying to get him killed just when he was born. Mm -hmm. So, what is the safest place for him to go? Can't be the West. Can't be Central Asia. It has to be the East because in those days, we had so many universities, Nalanda and all these different universities. And we were welcoming people from all over the world to study. Mm. So... I don't know. Makes that's, sense to me. That's one form of conspiracy, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a great experience so far, chatting with you and Same. obviously talking about all these different elements and uh, themes on your journey. But are there any other tools that we haven't spoken about perhaps that have helped you on your journey of healing apart from breath work, cold exposure, and, you know, tantra? Um, You know,
1: Breath work is is something that I I now have incorporated into so many different parts of of my life. Um, you know, for me, sunlight is a big one. Getting sunlight, I I, I don't know if that's a uh, a tool, um, but I'm lucky in that I live in a place where I'm able to get it all the time. Um however, a non-traditional tool, I will say. Um you know, one of the Harvard just came out with a one of the longest studies on happiness. Um I think it was 40 years or so they were studying, they were following hundreds or it could have been thousands of people and they concluded that the number one thing to happiness can you guess? Sunshine. Community. Community and sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Community. Yeah. So, um, you know, and nowadays people are just becoming so isolated. Yeah. And obviously, tw- you know, COVID made that even worse. But now that we don't have that, um, and and myself included, like I was kind of isolating myself a lot, particularly, de- particularly during my depression. But... You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered to be around people. And once I started pushing against that, it really, really changed me. Um, there's a a great friend of mine, Mary Ruddick, who's a nutritionist and anthropologist. She's she studied tribes all over the world. Um, and one of the things that she said is, everyone is together all the time, literally touching each other all the time. You know, like when they're sitting down, their hand is on someone else's shoulder. They're always together. Like there'd be no situation for them to be by themselves. You know, and she's been with people in Mongolia and Southern Africa, in in South America, all over the world. She said they have that similarity. You know the other similarity they had, she said, is um, mothers... When babies try to breathe out of their mouths, they pinch their mouths closed, Um, which was the first time that I'd heard that from an anthropologist. I'd heard that from Native American tribes. James Nestor wrote about it. But I'd never heard someone say, I've seen that consistently in every single indigenous group that I've been to around the world. So for me, that was like a huge indicator that we've actually been practicing nose breathing for centuries, and it's one of those things that we kind of just forgot about. But um, yeah, so so to answer your question though, community, community, and sunlight are are two things that I that I really try to incorporate into my life as as much as possible.
2: Powerful, powerful. Yeah, that's what I I feel I'm lacking <laughs> in Vancouver mm. is because the summer is beautiful in Vancouver. Um, but when it rains, it rains a lot. It doesn't rain heavily like last night, but it rains, as you might agree, in Seattle, like a little bit light, but it's persistent for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel the sunshine. I need more sunshine for sure, especially because my name is Aditya, which means... One of the twelve solar deities.
0: <laughs>
2: so, so I need to. But one thing I notice when I, when it's summer in Vancouver, I don't know if I'm going outside, I know I get a lot of eczema, you know, on my neck and my hand. But I don't get that here. Mm. Have you ever thought, found that similar? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the. Maybe it's the latitude. Maybe it means you're you're supposed to come here. Maybe maybe that won't be the case. Follow your body, right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> your body in in Vancouver is like I'm not. This is not the right sun for me. Right.
2: So I think that's what it's trying to say. Yeah. Maybe like uh, the um, well, some people say that the ozone layer is sort of more pierced in the northern hemisphere, right?
1: I, no, I'm gonna stick to my answer. <laughs> I I mean I serious in all seriousness like. I I think observing and and listening to your body is is right. Like it's always telling you things, mm-hmm. and I think I think you should yeah seriously consider that as an option. Like, all right, playa seems to be liking mm-hmm.
2: liking this for me. So yeah, maybe. So there you go, Action Tribe. We're going to set the intention today with everyone listening to this podcast right now, because my goal and my uh, uh, you know intention for aligning with my lifestyle is to be able to be in this place, like uh, like Playa, or maybe some place close to Playa. You know, wake up in the morning, uh, go for a snorkeling session, or maybe go for a dive in the ocean. Come back, do an online breathwork session with people around the world. Take a siesta, you know. So combining work and focused work with collaboration, but also enjoying and partaking with what nature has to has to offer. So setting yeah. the intention right now. Hopefully, we can manifest that sooner than later. I'm into it. Superb. I'm so good. for somebody who wants to learn more about you, how can they can do that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, we have our website, which is reconnect.mx, um, which we are trying to share as much information about breathing, about cold exposure as we can. Um, we also have our Instagram. Um, I'm not as active on my Instagram as I could be mainly because I'm trying to put more work into, um, the in-person experiences here. Mm-hmm. and social media just honestly takes so much time it does yeah and I I don't always know if it's worth it like I, I I'm i into it but but anyway so our our website would be the best place
2: for that we'll have these links in the show notes Uh, Kevin, it's been awesome connecting with you, talking to you, meeting you in person, talking about all these different areas of our lives and being vulnerable also, not just talking about the good, but talking about the not so good and then seeing how uh, you sort of navigated all those areas. Action Tribe, if you have any feedback, any thoughts, any words of wisdom, anything that you want to share with me, make sure that you connect with me aj at my sevenchakras.com, aj at my sevenchakras.com, or I'm sharing a lot more on my Instagram right now in terms of my trip here in Mexico. Make sure you connect with me at my7chakras, at my7chakras. And if you like this, and if you are like, AJ, please do more traveling, more Mexico content, then I would love your words of validation, because that just shows that I'm on my path. With that being said, I hope you have a nice uh, morning, afternoon or evening, depending on what time and where you're listening from. And from Playa del Carmen, it is goodbye.
0: Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com.